Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Christian Lewis. It's a Brother, Brother podcast. Today, we're giving you our best 10 albums of 2018 so far. You can now listen to episodes on your brand new BrotherPod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. It's also a place where you can interact with us directly through the talkback feature. Ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download on your mobile device. As always... You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's talk about the 10 best albums of 2018 so far. Podcast. It is a brother brother podcast. It's just Christian and myself, Wyndham Lewis, and we are doing a uh, top ten albums of the year so far. Um, we're doing our mid year report in July because, uh, on top of being shitty at math, we're we're really bad at, at telling time, including with a sundial and a calendar. And we procrastinate a lot. <clears throat> and um, so, uh, I mean, it used to be, I mean, this would be a, an interesting time of the year to do it um, historically because it used to be that there was sort of a light, you know, light dropping at the beginning of, these, of the year and then, you know, the fall and winter would be super heavy on, in terms of releases. It would be, would be a much heavier dropping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I get ready to hibernate. Um, but, you know, the... Uh, I don't think, I mean, it seems like another one of those, uh, you know, sort of truisms that, that's been rendered obsolete without really having much attention drawn to it. Is that, am I correct? You know more than I do about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think I really did learn this firsthand this year, um, working with uh, the Bones of Jared Jones and sort of figuring out when we were going to, um, you know, schedule schedule the album release there. Um, and, you know, I, I think... Um, from our perspective, it was, you know, May was a really uh, a sort of important window to hit um, for uh, for a, an indie artist who was, um, you know, was sort of growing quickly, um, building and momentum and, and, yeah, and preparing for a summer tour um, and hitting the festival circuit and the like. Um, so, you know, a big part of it is governed, I think, by um, the fact that, you know, summer festival tours sort of begin in earnest at the end of May and June. Um, plus kids get out on a summer holiday that matters a hell of a lot less now than it used to simply because you don't need to go to a record store to, um, access the music. It's, it's pretty much instantaneous. Uh, but I mean, if I go to Harmony Hut at the Chesterfield mall, um, the bones of J.R. Jones cassette's not going to be there. Uh, I think, I think actually we, we have a special, we have an exclusive deal with, with Harmony Hut. So <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, but, uh, you know, the fall then is another big time. It, partly, it's it's back to school. There, you know, but but in addition, um, it's uh, it's when a lot of bands sort of pick up and and go on the national like club circuit, for instance. Um, so you're still. I mean, I still think that like May, and then uh, you know mid fall are are still pretty um, 
pretty key times, but like you know, and the huge pop albums typically come out in June still. If you you know if you uh, if you notice, yeah. But I mean, it's it, I think you're right to say that it's it's the the distribution is more even than it than it used to be, um, and you know you're even seeing with with uh, self releases people sort of ignoring the traditional um, uh, well traditional formerly Tuesday release now Friday release um, and just sort of putting stuff out when they want to um, you know at the end of the day it's it's much like the attitude I think is for things like um, you know for things like Netflix you're not you're not necessarily gearing up to um, drive your to drive your audience to yeah to a product at launch you are building for the long term people are going to discover this stuff over time if it's quality so when it when it gets out there and and exactly how you you know build your promotion plan um, around the launch is is you know understandably sort of changing with it. Yeah, I mean, TV and movies have also had calendar creep. It's like you don't you have no idea what the seasons are anymore, and and I guess better for it. You know, I'd rather have a year full of quality entertainment than have to sort through everything. You know, on the third Tuesday in October, because it was the most. You know. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, I mean, you you know, you you end up um, being able to sort of make more judicious decisions about quality. I think uh, when you've got that kind of time to process things, um, you certainly get more more judicious uh, decisions about quality when you don't have to pay for anything anymore. I, that is absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but you know, it, no, I, I think that you're you're. I mean, you nailed it with with the TV comparison. I mean, it's um, you know, if everything comes at you at once, then you end up sort of like telling yourself you're going to sift through it, but. Does that really happen? Um, do you forget about things and not come back to them the way you'd like to? Um, you know, I think I think artists are, are realizing that there's uh, an advantage to being, you know, the guy who puts out a sort of uh, who can make a little bit more of a splash, you know, in the spaces in between. Um, because at the end of the day, people want good music um, all year round. I certainly so, do. So that said, we're in mid July. What are the ten best records of the year so far? Well, um, I will start with uh, with number ten on my list. Um, uh, definitely, what I would call a summer album, um, and that is Deaf Heaven's "Ordinary Corrupt Human Love." Um, <laughs> uh, so, just fire up the barbecue, kids, and um, <laughs> throw, throw this on. <laughs> Burn the Bible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And uh, roast one of your siblings. Um, no, I mean, look, I, I, okay, so I, I started to take notes about the music, and then I realized nobody nobody wants to hear about that. Um, I, let's, I let's, love their music, but... I, I do, too, and I, I really, I think, you know, talking about the, the sort of track by track is ultimately never where this conversation goes. Um, so, let's just get the genre conversation out of the way. Um, I think that... Their relationship is heavy. Yeah, it is, and you know, I think their relationship with with black metal um, has been complicated. Uh, it's not quite metal enough for the metal kids. It's a little too metal for the indie crowd. Um, but you know, on their new album here, I think that they've sort of turned that outsider um, status and, and genre mash um, into a virtue. And you know, I, I think that the um, the, the rap against this band uh, has sort of always been that they're 
basically a fashion accessory for indie posers who know nothing about metal. Um, and I will admit that I think this is partially true. Um, and well, let me ask you. As, like, uh, like, as, as an indie poser okay. who knows nothing about metal after the year I was born, I thought someday there was totally sweet. So, like, there's a certain, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with that sentiment. I just, I just like it. And, you know, why should they have to conform, right? Like, Fucked Up didn't do it, and they rule. Mastodon has sort of, you know, moved away from metal uh, in, in their, you know, latest album, Emperor of Sand, and they rule. Death Grips didn't follow this formula, and they completely suck. Um, but I think, you know, the, the point is, like, it, you, you don't need to evaluate based on, on genre and taxonomy. It's just clothes, isn't it? I mean, doesn't that come down to clothes and haircuts? Yeah, and they were all black, so that's fine by me. No, I know, but <laughs> it, I mean, is that really truly the dividing line here? Because it seems, I, I hate to oversimplify the argument, but to me, it seems like... Death Heaven isn't metal enough because they don't dress like metal guys. Yeah. I mean, also, I think in this... Well, so in this album, though, like, the opening track sounds like the second half of the Layla Suite. I mean, it's like a, you know, pretty piano part that could just as easily be, like, Jules Holland up there. Um, And then periodically you get that, like... Or it could be on March of Pigs by Nine Inch Nails, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, other other songs on the album could be, um, but I think actually this this first one is is pretty it's it's pretty clean. I mean, the thing is like they can make indie songs, which they do, um, or they can make metal songs, which they also do. They do both very well, I think. Um, but the vocals are so decidedly you know torched and like they're incredibly uh, harsh, um, and that's you know that's always going to um, mean that they're closer to metal than they are to indie, but I don't know the fact. I, I would be really interested. I mean, you were you were saying this earlier. I would be really interested to see what they came up with um, for you know with, with a clean vocal track. Um, I don't know that we're going to get that anytime soon, but it would be it would be interesting. So, you know, my recommendation is don't worry about like how to how to evaluate this you know, through the, like, the all-music genre classifications. Um, just try it without any of that. Like, next time, you know, you get out there and you're cleaning your apartment, like, spin this at high volume and see if you like it. And if you do, you know, try it again on, like, a long walk. And, you know, it, it might just grow on you and it might click for you. It did for me. So. Yeah, I, I my number 10 is, is uh, you know, sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, Um but uh, an album I brought up last week, so I'm not going to talk too much about it, but it's uh, T. Hardy Morris's Dude the Obscure, uh, a, a title that would ordinarily <laughs> annoy me, except the guy's name is T. Hardy Morris, so uh, the Thomas Hardy reference is yes. kind of funny. Um, but, uh, you know, just a really good... <clears throat> uh, he was, apparent, you know, he was the uh, frontman for Dead Confederate. What's that? No, I just, I just feel like Dude the Obscure sounds like a Jeff Rosenstock album to me. <laughs> like Totally. I mean, it's just that's the guy who would do that. <laughs> Actually, it sounds like a Jeff Rosenstock biography. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, T. Hardy Morris, it's it's sort of in the, you know, I brought it up alongside uh, Jim James and uh, Chris Crofton last week. But it does have a lot in common with Jim James, sort of uh, the, the vibe on his new record. And um, it's just, um, you know, it's good rock. It's I don't know what to tell you. It's, uh, you know, sort of got a little bit of a southern leaning. I mean, the, this guy's from the Deep South. I was in a front of a band called Dead Confederate. And um, now he's doing um, good middle-of-the-road rock and roll songs that uh, with a little bit of distortion. I like it a lot. There you go. Dead Confederate's such a 
seems like an imprudent name to select for a band. At the, I mean, like, really at any point, because it's like, knowing nothing about them, it's just, I'm not really sure which side that puts you on, um, which was actually always like, I just, at the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, I'll listen to these guys at some point. I'm kind of curious what's going on. I never disliked the name. I just never, I never heard them, I don't think. I think they were you more know, like, country radio. Really? Yeah. Or CMT uh, at least, know. I think. I mean, like, huh. if not country radio, then, like, they fit into um, the sort of country rock, like, uh, you know, drive-by truckers a little bit more. Like a lot of things where I, you know, read a tiny bit and assume an awful lot, which is a really terrible habit. Um, I saw Dead Confederate. I saw their backstory, where they were from, and sort of kind of equated them with Kings of Leon. Um and because they were sort of contemporaries, and I don't know if that's what put me off, but anyway, T. Hardy Morris's uh, solo record, "Dude the Obscure," is very worth listening to, and it and it uh, it uh, sort of dissolved all my presupp- all my incorrect presuppositions about uh, what this guy is as an artist, and I like it. So there you go. Number oh, nine. you know what it was? They started out as a southern. They I guess they started out in sort of the jam band circuit, which was actually the. Um, which which would have been enough to uh, keep us away from them, um, and have no yeah. idea what they were up to. It's funny. There's um, uh, I was listening to something today, and, and we'll we'll get to it eventually. But I was saying it. You know, I was thinking, wow, this has an element of jam band. This has a very welcome element of jam band to it, and I will I will talk about it when we get to it. But uh, anyway, your number nine record. Number nine record. Uh, I will keep this keep this quick. I don't have a lot to say, but it's Father John Misty's he album. Does. Mr. Tillman, um, exactly, and I think we're all just so exhausted by listening to this guy talk. Um, like, you know, is it God's favorite customer? Is that the name of the record? Uh, yes, um, and this is a handful of songs, um, a handful of singles that that you know have always, um, when I've liked him, made an album good, um, and it, it's never been more than that. I've not liked a single album top to bottom that he's done, um, but I when I can pick out four songs that I really, really, really like on an album, that's enough for me. And then the rest can just be his, like, obnoxious, fucking stoned, like, lounge piano guy, um, like, talking about politics, which is just something I so don't want to hear um, from uh, from him. But, you know, he, he, he does have, like, an incredibly clever, like, you know, him like a, a or like an ability to tell a very clever story every once in a while, and that that to He's me got a great singing voice. Well, and that to me on on songs like Date Night though, which is just funny. I mean, it's like it's just a good story, and and you know, um, I'll buy you ice cream if you give me your card is uh, is one of the best lines like of any song <laughs> I've heard this year. So, yeah, I feel the same way about Father, or a little bit. You know, I feel like Father John Misty is you know twenty years subsequent. Um, what the Dandy Warhols were for me. It was the band I hated to love. Um, but then they'd put out songs like Bohemian Like You, and fuck, you couldn't, you know, I, yeah. I, can't, I couldn't hate them. I could hate them, but I couldn't, <laughs> but I couldn't deny that you, I liked the song. You found, you found it in your shrunken black little heart to, to hate them. Um, yeah, but I, but I just liked the, I liked the songs, and, and this is I, the one. I mean, the last two Father John Misty records have driven me up a fucking it, wall. Yeah, it's just, and, it's the tongue-in-cheek quality of, like, it's so doubled down Cute. on um but on, on like a particular like hipster co- like culture that 
is now just exaggerating itself. Like, it, I mean, it's a very um, yeah. It sounds like the musical equivalent of a farmer's market. Yeah, t- absolutely, exactly. <laughs> or or a, or a boutique vintage clothing store. Um, so. No, they don't even wear clothes sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd, uh, I'm not much to look at. I'm not much to hear. You know, it's a it's a pretty self-effacing, very funny, uh, shambolic. It reminds me attitudinally of of the Libertines. Yes, not as good as the Libertines, but um, you know, it's got that same sort of. Uh, delivery where you know somebody either the vocals or the music is kind of lagging behind in a very you can tell a very strategic way but it, 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 it also in a pretty it, well rehearsed way having seen them yeah, live reinf- like, I mean it's, it it's, reinforces the the dirtiness and the sloppiness yeah. and the attitude but without losing an ounce of the and actually builds on the power well, by it's, sorry it's the difference between bad drumming and flams you know what I mean it's like there's, there's a you can play behind the beat um, or you can be late, uh, but the question is, like, are you actually off, or are you just toying around and, like, playing on both sides of, you know, um, each beat of a metronome, and, like, that ability, I think, comes from, I mean, these guys have been playing together since they were, you know, 12, 14, something like that, um, and, you know, doing so in, in the Queen, uh, I believe it's the Queen Vic, um, which is a pub where Fat White Family got their start, so in addition to, um, you know, in addition to the, the sort of I think tight ability of, of that band to sort of hang together musically. Um, their their lead singer uh, and his name is escaping me right now um, uh, is is just an incredible like incredibly entertaining performer. And actually, if you uh, check out my Instagram um, at CWC Lewis, uh, you can you can see some pretty awesome photos from their show um, at Market Hotel like a month or two ago. Do you have them up on the Brother Pod? Yeah, I'll. Uh, I will. Th- I can throw them up on there. I actually they're on my uh, personal page. I think. Anyway, number nine, shame. Yeah. Songs of praise. Listen to it. It's great stuff. Uh, what's your number eight? Number eight is Kid See Ghosts, um, which is uh, another seven track effort recorded alongside a handful of others during the uh, during Kanye West's so called Wyoming sessions. Um, and you know, I, I think for once here, like Kid Cudi sounds like. He's the guy who's actually got his shit together, um, and he's sort of supporting uh, his his former mentor. Um, and so, you know, I just point to a couple album highlights. Like Fourth Dimension, I think is amazing. That really does that is that is pure 
through and through Kanye West at the height of his producing powers. Um, like, that's as good as anything he's ever done. Um, and uh, Free, Ghost Town Part 2, um, you know, are, are, are also real standouts um, and just as exciting as, as um, you know, the stuff in his uh, early years on, on dropout and late registration, so. Good to hear. It feels so good, it should cost. Bought an alligator, I ain't talking the cost. Make me say, uh, oh, like a mix of Master P and Rick Ross, uh-uh. She seen to make me always feel like a boss, uh-uh. She said I'm in the wrong hole, I said I'm lost, uh-uh. She said I'm going too fast, I'm exhausted. Now drop to your knees for the offering. This the theme song, or something wrong. Might need an intervention for this new dimension. That's too new to mention, won't fit in a sentence. If I get locked up, I won't finish the sentence. My number eight is No Age's Snares Like a Haircut, and uh, No Age is one of those bands um, emanated from The Smell, which is an LA, a, a nasty little L.A. art space downtown that uh, got its name from its actual... Smell. Uh, <laughs> from its actual condition. Um, it's, it's a horrible place to, to go, but, um, it's, I, I, I liked No Age when they first came out, you know, uh, Weirdo Ripper, um, it was, uh, you know, they, they were really good, um, you know, sort of a lot of these two-man bands, Death From Above, and these guys, and, you know, I mean, everybody was, was doing this, you know, two-instrument, two, um, you know, two player, uh, kind of thing, Japan droids and everybody. And then I didn't, I felt like I didn't hear from no age for a really long time, kind of forgot they existed. Um, and then they came out with this snares, like a haircut this year. And, and it's better than anything they've done in the past. I think, I think it might be their best. Um, you know, songs like drippy and cruise control and, um, soft color fad. They're just, uh, they just rip and they, they're, there's nothing, there's no real change of pace. There's no real change of style in this one. It's just that they're, they're at the top of their, they brought their A game to what they do, which is, you know, rip off, uh, relatively, uh, short, punchy, uh, punk rock songs, um, that are melodic. And so I highly recommend Snares Like a Haircut. It's a good sound. It is a good sound, and they've 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 nailed it. Um, drummer, guitar, that's it. So, let's see. We're moving on to number seven here. Yeah, um, you can. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll uh, we'll get to this in a little bit. You've got them, I think, a little higher up on on your list. But my um, my seven and six picks, respectively, are Hookworms and Amon Dunes. Um, and I think uh, as the as the bigger fan, I will cede the light to you um, for for later in the episode. Uh, but what were your uh, what were your seven and six? My seven and six are Janelle Monae's Dirty Computer, um, which is a really uh, yeah excellent album. I really liked it. I think it's it's one of those that we were talking about Lauren Hill the other day, and it reminds me a lot of the miseducation of Lauren Hill, largely because it's it it's kind of the one where I feel like Janelle Monet can just let it fly and and sort of allowed herself to copy and and um, emulate a lot of her uh, idols, namely Prince in this case, but also. A number of other people. Um, it's got well-written, well-crafted, well-produced songs. 
the machine behind Janelle Monet has been so huge for so long, I can't understand why she isn't Beyonce at this point. You know what I mean? It's it's a weird uh, thing to watch every... Um, you know, every release that Janelle Monet makes, starting with, you know, her earlier stuff, um, you know, with Tightrope, um, you know, they, they put a lot of money, a lot of effort into this. And they, you know, I mean, she's, you see her on the Today Show, you see her on, you know, CBS Sunday Morning. I mean, they're trying to, you know, sort of pollinate the world with Janelle Monet. And it, I don't get the feeling she's as popular as, um, it, you know the the attempts at making her popular. I am I wrong? Is there is there a broader? Um, no, I mean know, I think she she, she, is, I she, think, is a, she is a festival headliner pretty much. Um, I, I think that she's like her. So what I see is like Beyonce's, you know, going along to get along, doing everything that you need to do to be um, a successful, you know, black artist consumed by all. Uh, all people in every household um, kind of thing. Like, Janelle Monáe was just sort of showed up herself and, you know, take it or leave it, um, which is uh, both an inspiring attitude, but also, um, I think, a, you know, one that doesn't necessarily... I mean, it change it changes you know it changes your appeal initially, um, and I think not having a, a, a launch vehicle like you know um, Destiny's Child probably also contributed to that. But I I, I feel like but she's she a style very, icon. Very, very she's big. a great actress. She's yeah. done like everything there is to, that you can possibly do. I mean, she's she's you know stunning. She her she's extraordinarily she's talented. Gap her songs are good. Yeah, I just don't. I for some reason I don't feel like she's rising to the the level, you know, um, within you know, uh, you know, in the world that that she's being that that they're attempting to place her at. It, it's a hard. I, I don't know why I'm being so inarticulate about the way that I'm trying to say this, but. I just I feel like there's I, f- I feel like I feel the effort behind the push behind Janelle Monet when all it really is is great music and a phenomenal performer. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I mean, I wonder what you know to what extent like her openness about um, her sexuality and and you know is is uh, is keeping her you know from from getting the attention that she deserves. I I don't know, um, but I can't imagine that even I don't know I, I it's just a weird well, it's, it's, it's just <laughs> your like a, theory. A, a I'm weird. trying to say she is headlining festivals this summer yeah. so yeah I guess I, I just don't feel like that you know I never hear her music you know when it, it feels like her music should be ubiquitous in the same way that that you know a Katy Perry or a Beyonce or Justin Timberlake or somebody is and I don't feel like I hear her music any more than I do indie rock you know what I mean Yes, maybe that's living in Boston. <laughs> it's not really though. I live in LA a lot. I'm in New York a lot. I, you know, I hear no. That's it, what I'm saying though. I actually do. That's what I was thinking. Is like I actually hear it in restaurants here and stuff. So um, I don't know if that's. But, but I mean, that it might feels be, like a hipster. It still feels like a hipster secret to me, and not somebody who is as big a star. As she well, should. spread the that's word then. I am trying. She's <laughs> my. Oh, my number six is Parquet Courts Wide Awake, and it was funny when I alluded to this earlier. I, I said. <laughs> 
that it was that there was a band that, that could use a little jam band in them. Um, I find them so rigid. restrictive sometimes and rigid that it, it, I, they're actually. And then I heard that song "Tenderness," and I'm like, "Wow, they they somebody you know went out and ate some peyote and and went on the horde tour for a couple for like 20 minutes as much as they could." And um, you know, it, actually, I really like the looseness in you, this album. You know, it's, I feel like it's. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I just, I just, I feel like there's a looser vibe, like a less tense vibe on this record that's welcome yeah i mean they definitely um they definitely stepped away and and sort of uh i think you know had recorded a couple of um solo records last year uh which i think probably had a um had an impact on you know sort of where they uh, where they were coming from when they got back together um but i totally agree with you and i think the the sort of the tension that that you feel in, in some of their music and you know um nowhere will you find a better example of this than uh uh when they particularly when they dropped the sort of more aggressive feature of like some of their earlier punk stuff um and they moved to like and it was a little bit more stripped down then you could really hear how like uh, structured it, it felt um, and I, I think that a, a you know there was no like there was no swing or groove to it which no, it, it, tense in the, which, tense in a good way like television you know in, exactly like television or arcade fire you know other people don't do swing and groove well <laughs> um, strokes yeah I mean um, but even those guys did you know in a slightly different way so I think you're right though to say it's like it's kind of cool I mean and I, I've got to say like there was the the song um that I am such a huge fan of off this album is uh, obviously on the tip of my tongue. Um, almost. Which it's very, very close, but uh, almost had to start a fight um, in and out of patience, uh, which is sort of a, a sweet almost. Um, but it's just a, that is a really, really cool um, tracking of guitars with uh, with vocals um, and sort of following the same melody, um, the the you know, the tempo changes, um, are, are really fantastic. So that, that was just like, that was such a cool song to me, um, that, that, that almost propelled this thing onto, onto my list as well. Um, but I think I could, I could spend a little more time with it and we'll see where it lands at the end of the year. How about that? Yeah, I think, I think I'll live with it a little longer and do the same. Hey, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll do our top fives. Um, there's some crossover, so we'll be a little bit more brief. Today we are talking about the top ten best albums of the year so far, and I think you know we've had some pretty great, uh, pretty great mentions so far. Wyndham, um, we're picking up with number five here, um, and I think you you've graciously. Uh, I'm going to defer 
my number five because it is higher on your list, and that is uh, U.S. Girls that is the in a poem, unlimited back asswards way that we do this exactly. <laughs> it's, um, you know, but yes, no, we will get to that just as just as I gave you uh, Amon Dunes and Hookworms earlier. So um, my number five is uh, is a Mancusian band, um, Virginia Wing. Uh, and their album Ecstatic Arrow, and you know I've got to say it's a, it's a pleasure to hear a band grow with each of their records. Um, I, you know, hype obviously tends to peak early. We've done multiple episodes about you know the idea <laughs> of sophomore slump and um, you know or the the sophomore takeoff, um, but I think in this case you know this is a third album. Um, Virginia Wings earlier releases I think could be like a little pricklier and sort of um, less. Uh, just the songs were a little bit less structured for my liking. So there wasn't, you know, it, 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 they sort of moved from A to B to F to, you know, D and then sort of like just walked away from the song. And, you know, that was fine. It was interesting. Clearly they had like a very tuneful, um, imagination and, and like it was, it was cool uh, from an instrumental perspective. Um, but I think what's, what's really stands out about this is like, uh, you know, there's a sort of playful, like pop, pop quality that that finally resolves in these songs, and um, it just has like these really charming and kind of like occasionally grooving, um, like sort of art school uh, genre, like synthesizers that you might hear in groups like Stereo Lab or Yacht. Um, but there's also this sort of like cool tenderness, I think, in, in Alice Merida Richards. Um, voice, which feels a little bit newer. And, you know, if you will uh, allow this kind of weird comparison, I was thinking that it felt equal parts like Broadcast and Bell and Sebastian. Um, hmm. So uh, it's definitely worth checking out. I think um, the highlights for me were, were Be Released, The Second Shift, and The Female Genius. And, you know, I would say yeah, I might have just given it the most confusing review ever, so um, I'll, this might be easier as if I just, you know, this is for fans of, I'd say, Hookworms, Stereo Lab, uh, Tune Yards. Hmm. Two out of three ain't bad. Um, let's move on to number four, which is where we have a a, uh, a consensus, a uniformity of choice, a uniformity um, of distorted choice. Yeah, exactly. We both went number four. Uh, Jim James, uniform distortion. Um, you gave a, a fairly uh, a lengthy <laughs> and interesting uh, dissertation on it last week, but I I, I I think it's pretty awesome, and uh, I I think that was my take on it last week too. But it does awesome it just kind of rips. It's exactly what I wanted Jim James to do, and it's so rare that you get, especially someone so far into their career, and and you know what he's done with my morning jacket. I've always liked. Um, you know, uh, there's certainly an uneven catalog as far as I'm concerned. There's things I like much more than other things, but rarely, you know, do you get a guy who's, you know, what I mean, this is like uh, counting his covers records. This has got to be like his sixth or seventh solo record, uh, plus his side projects, you know, and monsters of folk and all these other things that he's done. Um, where you finally get, after so much output, you finally get the record that you were waiting for, which is like a more, a rougher cut version of my favorite My Morning Jacket album, which is It Still Moves. Um, it's it's basically, it feels like it was whipped off in the studio by somebody who was excited to make a record, and I believe that is the case. No, I think that's right. I think he really, I mean, the, the way he talks about you know his inspiration for this album it's like sometimes inspiration really is sort of pure and unadulterated and it just moves you um and i i couldn't agree more i think you know he sort of 
tore up the playbook and, and, you know, turned up the amps, um, and sort of like just, it goes rollicking through like big chorus, you know, chorus pop and, and sort of like awesome foot stomping, you know, crazy horse, uh, style riffage. Um, yeah, and that's really where it lives. And I think also, and not to, not to diminish it, the, the backing vocals really add something so to good. Him. The lemon drops. Um, yeah. yeah, this is a, an LA sort of folk band and, and I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I, I think that they're, that's just, it's like the perfect measure of like s- sort of sweetness and, um, and sort of soulfulness that like maybe his voice alone wouldn't have quite, uh, been able to Conveyed. add. Yeah. So yeah. it really is like a, it's, it's cool. It's, it's like, J- it's like a modernized like sixties and seventies rock album. I really like it. I mean, I was a huge fan of rabbit fur coat by Jenny Lewis and the Watson twins. And I realized, you know, uh, subsequent to that, like how much the Watson twins added to that record. And I think don't sleep on how much, you know, lemon drops, uh, add to this record because it is a ripping rock record with big chunky. I think you'd nail that. Put the you know, you know, sort of hit the nail on the head with the crazy horse comparison. Um, but yeah, the the sweet backing vocals just really carry it to a different place. Yes, and if you'd like to hear more about my views on post-structuralist philosophy and cybernetic culture, you may tune into our um, our episode from Previous. last week, um, where I gave one of the weirdest uh, album reviews I think I've ever written. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, it was, uh, it, but it is. I mean, the fact that it, it's able to to operate so uh, so seamlessly on on you know both levels um, is is pretty cool too. Um, so it really is a testament to this guy's uh, this guy's sort of prowess, and you know he he is able to do for nostalgia and like rock and roll history with a guitar what i think craig finn does with his vocals and stories um so it's a it's a pretty cool it's a cool record go check it out funky crossover because you are now going to pick up my number five which was u.s girls yes and take you to funky town um <laughs> this is uh, this is a poem unlimited is the name of the album and this year it's uh it, it's you know i think this out this year is, and this album have really been sort of a coming out party for for megan uh remy who has had this solo project for about a decade um and you know I, i'll confess i i didn't know exactly what i heard of it the first time um Exactly, exactly what I thought of it the first time I heard it. Um, Wyndham, you said that you know it clicked with you right away. It took me uh, a couple more listens to really sort of get the vibe. And actually, um, when it but it took me a long time to listen to it because I didn't like her previous stuff that much. Yes, that's that's been my barrier for entry and i turned it on you know not two days ago and i i think i love it yeah no it's i mean it's this like dense glossy like disco into funk um surface that's like got you know chopped into pieces and like kind of complicated and shot through 
um, you know, this, this cool, uh, mix of, of soul and funk. Um, but like, you know, basically it's this interesting juxtaposition between these lyrics that are telling a pretty, um, uh, challenging, you know, set of stories about like, um, you know, male violence and, uh, the difficulties of, of living, um, and, and working in a, in a, just a sexist world. Um, but done, done in such a sort of, um, uh, you know, sweet way and danceable way that it sort of, it almost, it, it's just, it's a very strange, uh, like interaction between those two, um, components. Um, and I will say this is the album that has made me like a blues saxophone, I think for the first time in my life. So, um, I never thought I would say that, but I don't, for me, it's like, I would say the highlights were Pearly Gates, Velvet for Sale and MOH. And I, I, it's funny. I was going to ask you, um, I, for fans of, and my two were, uh, were Prince and Donna Summer. Um, but I think you mm-hmm. need to listen to it yourself and let me know, you know? I, you know what, you know, I would, I would draw a very, very, um, speaking of a sexist world, um, I'm going to go in the Wayback Machine and it, there's a little bit of Roxy music in there. I dig that. Yeah, I can see that. Um, um yeah, I like that a lot, actually. So who's uh, who's your number three now? I think we're up. Well, my number three, I'm going to defer to you again. Mine is uh, well, we can do this because uh, we're going to number two after number three because um, you're taking your GED classes. Is anybody um, um, is anybody is anybody with us at this point? Is like, still listening? <laughs> yeah. Flash or constant <laughs> image. I I love this album. Um, you turned me on to this early on, and uh, it is you know they're not the most remarkably original. Um, tracks I've ever heard the vocals with the music make it a it's, whole different experience it's like it's somehow yeah it's just it's tech it's part of it is just texture for me and it's like everything about this is music that I feel like I've been living with for 10 years and that I've loved uh since I you know like first went through my um, discovery of, of sort of the, you know, of, of good eighties new wave and, and post-punk, um, whenever that was. And it, it like, the, you know, they came out and it's, it's, it's like they made this album for me. I don't, I don't really know how else to describe it. And I think I said the same thing when we, uh, when we initially reviewed it in our, um, in our most recent, what are you listening to, uh, episode back, um, I guess two months ago. And yeah, that, it feels like comfortable clothing. Absolutely, um, and you know it's the the play between um, uh, between multiple vocalists. Um, the guitar effects are super familiar. Just a lar- you know, just a pounding, driving, awesome bassline. I mean, the, the rhythm section just just really is uh, is phenomenal. And then you know the the guitar just sort of like creates these like accents and splashes of sound where where you know exactly where they should be. Um, so no, I, I credit these guys a lot. It's you know DC band um comet ping pong uh employees i believe um mm-hmm. who are you know in, in various different ways connected to um pizzagate uh, P- yes they are responsible, <laughs> they're responsible for pizzagate um uh, or actually i believe they're victims of pizzagate um but also you know connected to uh you know other great dc sort of post-punk sounding band priests and um i think also bat fangs as well so um very very cool guys gotta check them out Excellent. Excellent. Well, 
I'm gonna go I have with my. No number. idea where we are. are. We we're on two or three. I, well, you just you just gave. Well, I, that was my number three okay. and your number two. So, um, so my number two. Hey, your number two, and then we're going to each of our number ones. But but my number two is with your number uh, somewhere up there six, I think. Oh. Um, yes. Yeah. So, but and that is Amen Dunes's Freedom. Yeah. Uh, I love this album, and and I will say in absentia, this is Jeremy's favorite album of the year. Um, and it's funny because right prior to the show, um, Christian's like, I really like it, but I don't see why you guys think it's so special. I don't, I don't, I don't feel it in the same way. And, um, here I go clumsily trying to explain, um, what this album does for me. There's a, there's a tingle. (laughs) There's a, yeah, I mean, truly, um, there is a, there's a tension to this record that, it feels hard earned and 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 cathartic, but still tense. Um, it the songs are well delivered. He's got a very interesting style of delivery to the point where I I w- actually um, you know when I heard him originally, I didn't think he was American. The, I um, said the exact same thing to you. I think the first time I heard it, which was that I was listening to this. I listened to it twice back to back in a car, and I thought. Okay, all of the musical references that this guy is quoting are so English. This guy mm-hmm. is definitely from His London. name is Damon McMahon. I didn't even know that I at mean, the time, but I was like, this yeah. guy is so from England, it hurts. And then I, yeah, I found out he's from L.A., and I was like, what? It's actually, I think he's from New York, but... Uh, oh, that's right, but he uh, lives in L.A. now, that's right. Could be Glasgow, it could be Belfast. It, it, it feels like someplace cold where you spend a lot of time indoors. Um, ironically, that would not be Los Angeles. Um, but uh, it, it, there's something to the uh, constriction of of the music in this, and the you know, it, 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 there's a there's a soul and R and B kind of undercurrent, but at the same time, it feels uh, very tense and tight. And at the same time, I, that's the thing. It's a it's a conflicting set of emotions, which is exactly why I like it so much. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't come out and slap you in the face and tell you how to feel about it. it yeah, I love being told you, how you, to you feel. Work at it. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that's right. Though this is you, you really I think have done actually a pretty good job at putting words to a difficult concept. And I think what I really took away from it was like this guy has suffered um, and what we are hearing is like, it, I mean, you know, a uh, pretty, pretty raw emotion, but like through a very like carefully constructed prism of like, you know, or, of sort of being calloused over and like being, you know, how on, how on earth would you mistake that for being English? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, so basically what I'm saying is he's suppressing his emotions because they hurt a lot. And that is the most English thing in the world. So <laughs> yeah, that and tea. Yes. Um, so anyway, that is my number two album, and and it was a, I I mean to me honestly, there's a one A and one B. That's I, it's the album I've probably listened to as much as any this year, and I love it very much. Religious 
That's awesome. Um, so we are now jumping to our top album of the year. Is that right? We sure are. Because yeah, Flasher was your number two. So number one. Number one drum, for me. Drum roll, please. Super Chunks, What a Time to Be Alive. Um, and look, we, we talked about this album at length uh, in a What Are You Listening To episode earlier this year, um, right actually before all three of us uh, had a brother, brother, brother field trip um, to see them at the Sinclair, is that right? Sinclair in Cambridge. Yeah, the Sinclair yeah. in Cambridge, yeah. So um, look, I, I think the title, Great venue. the title says it all. Um, like, What a Time to Be Alive. I am daily in disbelief at this point uh asking myself in the voice of walter i'm sorry i'm sorry has the whole fucking world gone insane (laughs) like did you just say has the world gone sane gone insane in oh insane you meant yeah oh i'm sorry yes i I may have said sane but uh, but just to clarify what i meant was the opposite (laughs) of the thing i said (laughs) i did the transcript (laughs) I read the transcript on the plane home. Um, look, okay, here's the here's the crazy part to me, though, is, like, we, I mean, we talked at length about the, the uh, I mean, you know, our, our podcast started basically right after, um, uh, right after the 2016 election, um, I think within two weeks of it, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have been stewing um, with, with, you know, the politics of, of the day, I think. Um, and, you know, thinking about how, how music interacts with it, um, for, for quite a while. And, you know, I, I just, who would have thought that the most scathing indictment, um, of, of this political climate, uh, would come from a band that like, you know, and, and no disrespect intended here was, was pretty much completely out of the spotlight at this point. And, you know, I think that what's fascinating, their third decade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, age, typically blunts like youthful anger i think or at least refines it in some way but on this album you feel like super chunk have just been sharpening their knives since the first bush administration um because they just come ripping out of the gate on this album and it's the same like it's the it's the they, they really are at the height of their powers i don't know how else to explain it it's like the, the vocals just come together perfectly with these like tight fast awesome melodies and and you know punk distortion that that really i i think make it a classic and frankly i couldn't give a shit less whether that's a cool pick for someone my age you know it's just it's such an awesome record if you haven't heard it go listen to it it's a cool pick of someone my age that's <laughs> <Yes>. a nice part <laughs>
Oh yeah, no, great choice. And and to be honest with you, um, I may have uh, it, we'll we'll see on the year end list where Superchunk winds up. But frankly, I'd forgotten that that album was released this year. I, I would have put it in December. So my uh, my mistake, as much as anything, I, I love that record and it's it's good. But my number one would not have changed as a result of my miscalculation. My number one is Hookworms album Microshifts. Um, I listened to this the first time. Uh, I remember exactly where I was um, in Los Angeles, and it has... It's one of those albums, it's very electronic-based. It reminds me of a lot of my favorite artists who are heavy on electronics, um, you know, but have a very, very strong pop sensibility. Um, Hot Chip, uh, M83... um, Daft Punk to a certain degree, but there's this cut very copy. cut copy very much. Yeah, um, it's it's and yeah, cut copy almost more than any of them. Except it doesn't have the warmth of the cut copy vocal, um, or you know, which also always warms up cut copies records. Um, Hookworms is a much more cold and distant kind of um, uh, sounding band, but the 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 tones that they get. Um, through the the keyboards and, and synthesizers and filters that they're you know playing guitar and bass through um, are um, well the song is built very incrementally but the there's are there are tones that I, I feel like I haven't heard necessarily before that are that that sort of keep you listening despite the sort of distance that's created by the subject matter and and vocals, which are, are fairly urgent and um, uh, aggressive, I guess, is a, is a term I would use. But, um, you know, it, it, it's still a fun record because it's such a good listen and the songs build to such a, a substantial place. Um, but it is layered, you know, almost in the way that Spoon does with more traditional instrumentation where you can kind of feel like you could pull the the separate elements apart um and um or that you hear them as they enter and they become you know part of a whole ultimately again cup copy is a good comp for that but you know it starts off i mean the first song starts off i couldn't help um you know make a very juvenile uh comparison when i heard it it sounds like when you're a kid and you try and burp the alphabet um, yeah, it's got it like the start stop of you know <laughs> keyboard, and I won't try and, and and impersonate it, but you know it sort of builds on this very you know robotic mechanical um, set of building blocks. But ultimately, by the end of it, you realize like how full and intense the song is, and it doesn't let up the whole album. I mean, I think start to finish, this is this is one of the best albums I've heard in. in the decade and I, and it really was it took off from listen one and has only gotten better I, yeah no I think you're right I mean I I have um, spent less time with it than you have but I was I was super impressed and this is by the way I think it's worth pointing out these guys are from Leeds and sort of part of this like cool there's a very cool like sort of north of England like musical renaissance going on right now that's got our, it, our friends the Oriels. the Oriels, but martha um you know uh you've got hookworms from up there um, i'm trying to think who else there are a couple bands from i guess durham um but it, it, it's it is 
you know, equal parts rooted in electronic music in, um, uh, that calls back to the, the club days of the nineties. Um, you know, but, uh, but also in, in punk and, and sort of more, um, more recent garage rock sounds. I mean, I think that all of the points of reference in this album in particular, whether it's LCD sound system or, you know, even in a way, super chunk, um, sort of the, the insistence of, of the, of the vocals, um, you know, are, are really just excellent. And I have to say that, um, the, the line I remember from, I think it was uh, I think it was Stuart Berman's review um, of this album a couple months ago was that it, it, they'd forged a brand of stoner rock for people too wired to get stoned <laughs> and I was like man that actually is a good line yeah it is a good line um, no they've, they've, they're really onto something and I I just I think it is so um, sonically like original uh, mm-hmm. that, that I'm, I'm pretty excited about it it's, it's like almost like uh, when you hear something like can for the first time you're just like what the fuck is this yeah there's a lot of that in there too yeah. obviously so no it's, I mean, it's good stuff I'm, I'm excited to spend more time with it and we'll see again where this uh, where this ends up at the end of the year for me yeah well it'll be a fight um, anyway do you want to end this how we end every episode with what are you listening to uh, with burping the alpha oh yes um, yeah <laughs> uh, yeah let's do it um, so what are you listening to Wyndham well, thank you for asking. Um, I have a very, very strong recommendation, uh, as strong or stronger as, uh, than my recommendation for Hookworms Microships, which is um, The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner, her new novel, uh, or newish novel. Uh, it's been out for several months, but I read it um, while I was away. I finished it last night, and it is... Um, I, I always say that the best documentaries that you ever see are the ones that you think you would have no interest in, and I would put this book um, uh, within that paradigm of reading the synopsis and saying, well, please don't make me read this, and then <laughs> reading it. It's about a woman on death row, um, uh, a mother on death row, and I'm not going to go much further than that other than to tell you that somehow Rachel Kushner's immense talent turns that into both a page turner and a, um, you know, a warm and insightful, uh, novel, um, that goes a lot of different places, uh, heavy on locations in prison and, uh, San Francisco and, uh, the Mars room is the name of the strip club that she worked at. Um, and all of this sounds enormously depressing. Fucked up. Yeah, I don't want to read believe this. Me when I, <laughs> believe me when I tell you that it is incredibly worth reading and, and the best book I've read in quite a while. Well, I, I will, I may reluctantly take your recommendation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that sounds, that sounds dark. Um, so I'm, I'm excited if it's, uh, if it's in fact, um, you know, everything you say, so I'll, I'll check it out. Um. I have been, uh, for my part, I just finished uh, Rise of the Machines by um, a guy named Thomas uh, Ridd, who is a, a professor um, at, uh, uh, at the Alma Mater, so that kind of intrigued me. Um, but actually, mostly this was just... Um, uh, Which a, Alma Mater? Uh, John Hopkins. It was uh, uh, just a recommendation, actually, from a, from a friend of mine over at... Um, Motherboard, who uh, interviewed him for uh, for a few articles. This guy basically rise of the machines is, is sort of the definitive um, history, but a very very accessible one of um, of cybernetics, which 
I, honestly, I couldn't have defined it for you um, before I'd read this, but it sort of, uh, it started basically in World War II um, and, you know, with uh, anti-aircraft, um, but it's basically the intersection of humans and machines. So how can you, um, you know, how can humans operate machines that themselves are learning uh, from feedback mechanisms and, and sort of, uh, you know, putting out signals and then collecting data and adjusting and doing their jobs better. Um, obviously, you know, this and then is, making craft work albums and then making craft work albums. Exactly. Um, and you know, so it's, it's a, it, like if, if this is something that interests you at all, and if you really want, um, uh, an accessible way to sort of understand, like, you know, what problems were the, inter- were things like the internet trying to solve? And, and this has always been the hard part for me is like, I, I was born at a time when there was already so much technology available that like, I, it was difficult for me to see how, like where it would have started and why. Um, and this really does sort of walk you through step by step, um, you know, the, the 1960s and seventies, and it goes through the implications and culture and, uh, conflict and, um, you know, it's a, it's a awesome read. And the other thing, um, since I'm, I'm going more academic this week, I guess, uh, for anybody out there who is deeply puzzled by the 10 million lawsuits that seem to, uh, uh, afflict, um, our government right now, I would strongly recommend the two places I would say you should go are, are Lawfare, uh, and Popat. Both are, um, both are blogs, uh, excellent lawyers, um, Lawfare is affiliated with the Brookings Institution, but Pope Hat is um, written by a guy named Ken White. And they really are just, like, outstanding at breaking down the news in impartial, objective ways, explaining what the law is, explaining, you know, how precedent might inform future decisions. Um, and uh, it, it's, frankly, at a time when, like, news is becoming impossible to read um, because it's so sensationalist, I think this is just really sober, thoughtful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No. All right. Okay. Yeah. No. Totally. All right. So it's time to add one song to the sixty-seven thousand four hundred and eighty ten best songs of all time. Uh, What do you got? ELO's "Don't Bring Me Down." That song fucking rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not gonna argue. Jesus, I I feel like changing mine, but um, (laughs) I am. uh, I'm gonna stick with my my whatever uh, conflicted um, feelings I had uh, that that are that rise from listening to Blue Rose by Amen Dunes. Oh yeah, and I'm psyched to put it on because it's a great song. Cool. Hopefully they won't be. Right next to each other when you when you put it on shuffle because that would just be a weird <laughs> jump. Like, well, actually, I mean, I think we went out of order and we should have just been, been like Blue Rose. Oh, don't bring me down. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. I like it. Well, cool. Good talking right. to you. We'll be back next week. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother 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 podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer Damian Kendall and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.